0: Sometimes when the book of Revelation is difficult for us, it's less because of what Revelation itself actually says than it is because we as modern Christians completely miss the rich web of connections between what God reveals in Revelation and what he revealed in other parts of Scripture, especially from other prophets in the part of the Bible that we refer to as the Old Testament. And if we learn to recognize Revelation not as something weird and otherworldly, but as a key bringing together of all of the rest of Scripture, if we'll hear the witness of those ancient prophets, it'll help bring the picture together for us in such a way that it'll build our faith and give us hope. And Revelation, chapter 10. Listen to this scene that begins with verse 1. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head and his face was like the sun and his legs like pillars of fire. He had a little scroll open in his hand and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land and called out with a loud voice like a lion roaring. When he called out, the seven thunders sounded. And when the seven thunders had sounded, I was about to write. But I heard a voice from heaven saying, Seal up what the seven thunders have said, and do not write it down. And the angel, whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land, raised his right hand to heaven and swore by him, who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, and the sea and what is in it, that there would be no more delay, but that in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. Then the voice that I heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, Go, take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll, and he said to me, Take and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I'd eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And I was told, you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. And I was given a measuring rod like a staff. And I was told, rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship it. But do not measure the court outside the temple. Leave that out, for it is given over to the nations. And they will trample the holy city for 42 months. And I will grant authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1,260 days, clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. And if anyone would harm them, fire pours from their mouth and consumes their foes. If anyone would harm them, this is how he is doomed to be killed. They have the power to shut the sky that no rain may fall during the days of their prophesying. And they have power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they desire. And when they have finished their testimony, the beast that rises from the bottomless pit will make war on them and conquer them and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city that symbolically is called Sodom and Egypt, where their Lord was crucified. For three and a half days, some from the peoples and tribes and languages and nations will gaze at their dead bodies and refuse to let them be placed in the tomb, And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and make merry and exchange presents because these two prophets have been a torment to those who dwell on the earth. But after the three and a half days, a breath of life from God entered them. And they stood up on their feet and great fear fell on those who saw them. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here. And they went up to heaven in the cloud, and their enemies watched them. And at that hour, there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. Seven thousand people were killed in the earthquake, and the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is soon to come. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever and the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worship God saying we give thanks to you Lord God Almighty who is and who was for you have taken your great power and begun to reign the nation's rage but your wrath Came in the time for the dead to be judged, and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and earthquakes, and heavy If you drop into Revelation, thinking prophecy means it's all about prediction. If you drop into Revelation kind of selfishly and want to make it all about you and your future, this is a hard couple of chapters to know what to do with. Is it saying that at some point in history there's going to be a couple of prophets who come along who are able to work miracles again and then they'll be killed, but then God will raise them and that's going to usher in the end? Some people interpret this then. I personally find that to be taking Revelation a little too literally, given the nature of the symbolism at play here. But that's the sort of thing where there could be room for debate. That good and honest people just trying to understand God's will might go to different lengths for how deeply they feel the images needed to be interpreted. What I can tell you for sure, though, is to really appreciate what Jesus revealed to John here, it does help to know more about the Hebrew script. Because when chapter 10 starts with that description of the angel coming down, the words that are used there describe very much the presence of God as Israel witnessed it back in Exodus. In chapters 13 and 14, as God was leading them out of slavery in Egypt into the wilderness, ultimately to the promised land and to freedom, the angel descending has some of the same imagery that's used of God there. The picture that's given where John's told to eat, scroll. That's not just unique to this part of Revelation. That actually mirrors very closely something that the Hebrew prophet Ezekiel was told to do five to six hundred years before Jesus's birth in Bethlehem and his prophecy in Ezekiel chapter three. Likewise, when John is then given a measuring line and told to measure the dimensions of the temple, sometimes that's read and people try to place Revelation as maybe being earlier in the first century, before the destruction of Jerusalem, or they use that to interpret that there's going to be a rebuilding of a temple there in the physical city of Jerusalem. Yet the imagery there is one that's mirroring imagery, also from Ezekiel, in Ezekiel chapter 40. That if you go to look there, you see so much of what John's experiencing and acting out is completely consistent with ways that God has spoken to his prophets before. Whenever the prophets that are witnessing there are described as being two olive trees, that's very close to how the priest and coming king were described in Zechariah's prophecy in chapters 3 and 4 as people that were there to serve God. And... At the beginning of Revelation, and at different points throughout, we're reminded that our vocation as followers of Jesus are to be his priests and to reign on the earth. Whenever we appreciate that there's more going on with Revelation, whenever we view it as something we keep coming back to and always draw in a little bit deeper, whenever we're familiar with the whole story of what God is doing, then instead of having passages like this that are confusing and we're not sure what to do with it, and we're not sure what it means for the future, it can instead help us see how all of history, all of scripture has been brought together by what Jesus has accomplished. And God has servants that are witnessing to And the witnesses here in Revelation 11 are so similar to Moses bringing the 10 plagues on Egypt, to Elijah bringing about a period without rain to get the attention of Israel's wicked king and queen. Yet whenever we see them dying and people celebrating, we hear echoes of what we know happened in history is authorities would put Jesus' apostles to death. As Christians would be blamed by Nero for burning down Rome and so their bodies would be used as torches to light the way into the city. So many things about what we see in the symbolism is true to what we see happening in scripture, to what we know happened in history, yet then there's hope. There's hope that those who witness for God, those who testify to his truth, won't stay dead. That even when others mistreat, that even when others persecute and murder and celebrate the way that they're treating God's people, God will ultimately exalt his people. That was a message of hope. Even though things were hard for Christians when John delivered this revelation, even though they were going to get harder, it was hope. So they should keep on witnessing The time of pain would be shorter than the work that they had to do and the exaltation that God would bring about. And that message can be the same for us too. We can hear that witness of the prophets. In a lot of ways, it seems like the book of Revelation should end here. The kingdom of God has become the kingdom of the earth. Everything is united. God's temple is open. And it does seem like we're reaching a definitive end But Revelation isn't. We're going to recover a lot of the same ground from a different angle in some of the chapters to follow. But we're going to digress from Revelation for the next few devos and move back to other parts of the New Testament that describe the events leading up to that point. When God's kingdom and the kingdom of the world are one. Some of the things that Jesus' apostles taught and prophesied as they stood as those witnesses so that we can hear that and keep that in mind so that the whole picture, both the picture painted in this apocalyptic language of Revelation as well as the generally plainer, more clear teaching of the apostles, especially throughout the New Testament letters, can all come together so that we too can have confidence. Confidence to endure even when things are hard. Confidence to That even if we or our brothers and sisters throughout history or around the world should suffer for our faith, God is not left without a witness. He will raise up those who fall for Him, and we will look forward to the day where Israel is the only.